Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clearer these days, it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries, and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. This summer, we are moving through the narrative of Daniel, a Jewish man who lived in Babylonian exile 2,600 years ago. Last week, we heard of the day when, with God's help, he was able to interpret a dream that had been deeply troubling to King Nebuchadnezzar. After that interpretation, the king exclaimed, truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of all kings. And he promoted Daniel to a position of authority over all of the royal officials. Immediately afterwards, that new Babylonian official asked the king and was granted a request, namely that fellow exiles, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also be appointed to positions of importance. You shouldn't understand either of those steps as suggesting that Nebuchadnezzar had become a believer in God. For immediately after that, he orders this great golden statue built. And then when it is completed, a herald stands before the people and says that upon hearing the royal orchestra, they are to bow down to that statue and worship it as a god. And if they do not, they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. On that day, there is an initial test of this new decree. The music is heard, the people then bow as prescribed. Our text picks up the narrative at that moment as we're told that certain Chaldeans came to the king. Now, Chaldeans were among that group of officials who had been un unable to interpret the dream themselves, and now they were reporting to Daniel. They come into the king's presence and says, O king, live forever. And then they remind him of this new decree that upon hearing the music, everyone is to bow down or face the consequences. Now, as a side note, I was interested to learn that the drum that is spoken of in those instruments of long ago has been described as sort of an ancient form of the bagpipe, which makes it especially appropriate for us to focus on this text on Scottish Communion Sunday. So these men have come into the king's presence. They're humiliated. They have not been able to answer the king's request for this dream, and now they are serving under the oversight of this exile, and they have news they just can't wait to share. They say, O oh, king, there are some Jews in this kingdom 
who do not heed your call. These are individuals whom you appointed to positions of authority, and yet they're not bowing down. They're not honoring your gods. At that moment, surely they must have stepped back, knowing what was going to happen. And really on cue, Nebuchadnezzar erupts with anger. He orders those men to be brought into his presence, and he says to them, is it true? And even before they can answer him, he gives them another chance. In essence, saying, now, we're going to try this again. I'm going to have the music played, and if you bow down to them, then everything will be all right. But if you don't, you know the consequences. And the spokesperson for that group says, really, there's no need for defense, king, as we are not going to bow down to your gods. Well, of course, that was not the answer this sovereign wanted to hear. And as we'll see next week, things then proceed from this moment. Our New Testament reading describes another moment when there is this anger by ones in power over the acts of believers. Now, in this case, it is the Sanhedrin the Jewish council in Jerusalem, who are upset with new Christians, in particular two of the disciples, Peter and John. Just prior to our passage, they had been brought before the council. They'd been arrested because they had been preaching about Jesus, telling about the resurrection, and crowds were starting to follow. And they recognized, the Jewish leadership, that this was a threat to their position. So on that day, they ordered the men to stop talking about Jesus and then let them go. Well, they don't follow that command. They are arrested again. They secure freedom through some divine intervention. The temple police track them down and then bring Peter and John back to the Sanhedrin. That's the point at which our text begins. As the high priest says to them, we told you to stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. That introduction reminds me of a conversation I had just this past Monday with our five-year-old granddaughter. We had been gathered to celebrate Lori's birthday. And so our children and their spouses and our grandchildren were all present. At one point before dinner, Emma and I were sitting there and we were looking at videos on my electronic tablet. That's something that she's enjoyed to do for a long time. And, and typically, she would focus on videos that I had there of her as a toddler. But in more recent visits, She's been more interested in these little video snippets that ultimately will make their way into my children's message here. As many of those messages begin with me using my camera to record various scenes, and then our talented communications director pulls it all together in seamless fashion. And so Emma and I are sitting there watching several of those videos in succession, and then she stops and says, Papa, why do you talk about Jesus all the time? <laughs> In a much more threatening way, that was the question that Peter and John were being asked 
2. Why do you continue to teach in his name and to try to blame us for his death? And in response, Peter says, we must obey God and not any earthly authority. For this Jesus whom you killed, he went on, God has raised him. He is now the savior and leader seated at God's right hand and we are his witnesses. And in response to those words, the, the high priest becomes infuriated. Friends, for those of you who don't know, this is Miriam Montgomery, one of the saints of our church, um, who I think is now 100 years old. Her husband, Stuart, helped shape the very first Scottish Communion Sunday uh, that we have observed here. Uh, and we, we trust that she is surrounded with God's love and God's care right now, but would like for me to offer a prayer now on her behalf. Gracious and ever-present God, we know that nothing can break the bond of your love for us. We know that you're with Miriam now and those who are caring for her. We pray that she will be strengthened by that love and that you will continue to sustain us both as we walk with this family and as we claim that good news for ourselves once more. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, just learned that Miriam, in fact, had fainted and she has revived, and so we, we do celebrate that. Uh, this feels really kind of a, a uncharted territory in lots of ways. Um, I would like, with your um, forbearance, to continue with the sermon. So we, we had this moment where Peter and John are before the high priest, uh, and the high priest demands that they stop teaching, preaching, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And he says, no, no, we're going to listen to God and to not to human authority. And they erupt. They're furious with that. Some on the Sanhedrin want to kill him on the spot, but cooler heads do in fact prevail. And they send them out. They, they whip them, and then they order them again to stop talking about Jesus. Well, our presence here in this sanctuary and online gives us an understanding of how that played out as clearly the good news continued to be proclaimed. And those two narratives really do give us a glimpse of some very courageous ancestors in the faith, individuals who in the face of power were willing to continue to live out their faith. Thankfully, few of us live in a setting where we have to worry about literally our life being at risk for living out the faith, but, but we do know 
of what it's like to have those moments when we seek to be faithful, when we seek to act upon what we believe, and there is this pressure pushed back against us. Picture yourself at work where there's this joke told that demeans someone else and you refuse to go along and you're accused by your coworkers of not being a team player. Or think about a moment when your spouse really isn't happy that the family schedule has to be adjusted because of some church event that you want to be part of and there's tension then in the relationship. Or think about a moment when you've left a graduation party that went wrong and you proceed to tell your parents of what had happened and then your peers who wanted to keep it quiet will ostracize you. There are moments all of us face when we're seeking to live out our faith still when there is this pushback, where there's this kind of pressure against us to give way. And what we have in these two biblical accounts is glimpses of people who resisted that. To me, the most remarkable thing about what they did in both settings, though, was they didn't know what the outcome would be. So when those three exiles are given a chance, a second chance to bow down to those statues, the one who's speaking for them says, if our God is able to rescue us from your hand and from this fiery furnace, then so be it. But if not, we still will not bow down. Peter is standing before the very group that was involved in the death of Jesus. And he had seen how Jesus been handed over to Roman authority, and yet still he said, we, we listen to God and not to human power. Both of those remind us of it is possible, it is still possible to stand up to those that would have us live in a different way. But in particular, in these scenes, what we have is a glimpse of people who refuse to give way to other gods, who refuse to bow down to earthly understandings and earthly power. And it's that kind of challenge that I think we all face throughout our journeys. Bill Chadwick is a Presbyterian minister who tells a story of going to the funeral of his cousin. His cousin died at 44 years old of cancer. And he speaks of how he was shocked and stunned by that loss, as were many others. For when he gathered for the service, there were a thousand people there. And he spoke with great appreciation for the care the priest offered in leading that service, as well as the strength that he had seen in Terry's wife, his cousin's wife. And he tells of what happens. He says, I looked on with trepidation as Joanne walked up to the pulpit, and she was carrying over one shoulder this green backpack. And she began by thanking the people there for their love of Terry and her family, for the way they had walked with them in this painful time. And then she said something in essence of this. There are many horrible things about this disease, she said. There are some good things that we learned during this time, and I want to share some of those lessons with you. 
As many of you know, she said, Terry always wanted to be a successful businessman. She put her backpack down on the pulpit and opened it up, and she pulled out a Forbes magazine, and she showed the cover to the congregation that had gathered that day and said, as you all know, Terry was very successful, but cancer taught us success in work doesn't matter. We have a nice house, she went on, four bedrooms, a large yard. Terry was so proud of our house. He always wanted to make sure it looked its best. She reached in that backpack and she pulled out a copy of House Beautiful and said, cancer taught us that houses don't matter. And she threw that magazine down too. She went on, she looked out over that congregation of a perfectly quaffed 40-somethings and said to them, and as we all know, Terry liked to look good, and he did. He used to say in recent weeks that you'll be able to recognize him in heaven because he'll be the one wearing a necktie. And then she reached in and she pulled out a copy of GQ. And she said, Terry didn't look that good recently, but cancer taught us that looks are not important. She went on to say, offer a similar kind of litany about his prized car, a Porsche. She held up a car and driver magazine and said, cancer taught us that cars are not important. And then she paused. She looked down at these magazines that she had thrown all around her and looked out at the faces of her friends and said, cancer taught us that the most important thing is our relationship with God and with the important people in our lives. We know that too. And yet we as well have to continue to deal with these other gods who beckon us and want us to bow down. Which is why on this day we stop and remember and celebrate five of our ancestors in the faith who point us toward a different way, inviting us to learn from and to model their example too that we might draw ever closer to God in whatever we do, come what may. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for your unbreakable love, for the ways that you continue to point us in the direction you would have us to live. Be with us and strengthen us in that journey, that in word and deed, we might demonstrate the honor due only to you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love.